You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on my book, Sustainable Frontiers, Unlocking Change Through Business, Leadership and Innovation. Lessons from Egypt in Building a Cleaner Chemicals Industry. So far, I've looked at the impacts of the chemical sector and innovations like green chemistry, but how do we share the technologies that are making the chemical sector more sustainable, especially in rapidly emerging countries? To answer this question, I'm going to shine the spotlight on Egypt, where factories are discharging 2.5 million cubic meters of untreated effluent into the rivers each day, much of it laced with toxic chemicals. The country also faces a water and energy crisis, but three Egyptian companies are tackling these environmental issues through technology adoption and transfer. The first is Arab Steel Fabrication Company, called El Sawidi, which has applied a technological solution to recover hydrochloric acid from its galvanization process. Besides the obvious environmental benefits, the company is saving £345,000, that's Egyptian pounds, every year. The second company, Mac Carpet, has used technology to create an automatic system for recycling of thickener agents, which saves it about 5 million Egyptian pounds per year. The third case is a company called Pachin, which manufactures paints, inks and resins. Like many chemical companies, the manufacturing process is highly energy intensive. As part of a government program to promote renewable energy in Egypt, part funded by the EU, a technology company in Germany has installed solar collectors at the Pachin facility. These heat the water to 65 degrees Celsius, then by using a heat exchanger, recover the heat and use it to keep the fatty acid store at an optimal temperature, saving the company 100,000 Egyptian pounds a year. In all three cases, there are lessons to be learned. Let's look at them now. The first lesson is about economic drivers. When asked about the top three benefits from implementing sustainable technology, El Sawidi and Mac Carpet Company both mentioned resource productivity and economic development. Environmental improvement was also a key factor in the top three for both, but would have been insufficient on its own to motivate the technology change. The second lesson is skills development. Significant barriers to technology adoption for both companies were the lack of local qualified workers and institutional capacity. To overcome this, the technology provider and the Egyptian National Cleaner Production Center had to do training. One of their representatives said that education was needed not only on the specific technologies, but also, more broadly, on the seriousness of the water crisis in Egypt. The third lesson is business continuity. For Pachin, energy consumption is not just an environmental issue, but one that is business critical. In 2013, the Egyptian government announced plans to ration subsidies for petrol and diesel fuel and hiked fuel prices for heavy industry by more than 30% at the beginning of the year. 
power outages became more commonplace, resulting in significant disruption to business continuity and loss of economic value. The fourth lesson is on market potential. The German solar company was prepared to part fund, install and support the technology transfer to Pachin in Egypt because it enabled them to show a working demonstration of a project in a market that has massive potential for the business. The marketing benefits of sustainable technology in developing countries should not be underestimated. The fifth lesson has to do with macro conditions. It is unlikely that the Pachin project would have been embraced so enthusiastically had Egypt not experienced an energy crisis and accompanying rises in energy costs in recent years. Although these macro conditions are beyond the control of the sustainable technology providers, being sensitive to the opportunities that they can provide can help ensure that the correct markets are chosen for deployment. The sixth lesson is financial support. Although long-term economic development is an important benefit of the adoption of sustainable technologies, the high initial cost of these projects and the relatively long payback period can be a significant barrier. In the case of Pachin, this was overcome by getting financial support for the project from the EU and the technology provider. Lesson 7 is about planning for scale. A lack of qualified workers to install, operate and maintain Pachin solar technology was overcome by providing the relevant skills training. However, in order to ensure future scaling, a plan was also devised for moving towards local manufacturing, possibly through a joint venture. Lesson 8 is about local adaptation. The Egyptian National Cleaner Production Centre, working as an intermediary, determined that the German solar technology was over-engineered for the local conditions. In particular, since the technology was made in Germany and had to comply with EU specifications and perform in a region with ambient sunlight, it was found that the installation materials could be replaced with less expensive substitutes, which performed adequately under local conditions. Major reductions in the environmental impacts of the chemical industry, as well as economic benefits, can be achieved by adopting and transferring existing best practice sustainable technologies. The problem, therefore, is not our lack of sustainable technologies, but our ability to finance, incentivize and build capacity for their deployment where they are most needed in the world. Iron ore and rare earth metals mining, an industry under siege. Let us turn now to a third industry sector, namely metals. Resource scarcity and human rights issues surrounding metals extraction, coupled with unrelenting global demand, mean the industry is facing some tough realities. The good news is that the number of people living in extreme poverty could drop from 1.2 billion in 2010 to under 100 million by 2050, according to UN projections. The bad news is that the flotilla of hope currently rising on the tide of economic growth in emerging countries is at serious risk of being dragged down under the waves. The reason is growing resource scarcity and the environmental disasters that could ensue. As always, the poorest will be worst affected. The UNDP projects 
that under an environmental disaster scenario, instead of reducing the population living in extreme poverty in South Asia from over half a billion to less than 100 million by 2050, it could rise again to 1.2 billion. In sub-Saharan Africa, the numbers may rise from under 400 million to over a billion. For the world as a whole, an environmental disaster scenario could mean 3.1 billion more people living in extreme poverty in 2050, as compared with an accelerated development scenario. The message is simple. Unless these booming economies and the high-income countries they churn out widgets for can lighten the weighty anchor of resource consumption, we will all, sooner or later, get that sinking feeling. To illustrate the point, demand for steel, driven in no small part by a global car fleet doubling to 1.7 billion by 2030, is expected to increase by about 80% from 1.3 billion tonnes in 2010 to 2.3 billion tonnes in 2030. These trends raise red flags about material shortages of many metals in the future. Besides steel, rare earth metals are cause for concern as they comprise 17 chemical elements that are critical in the automotive, electronics and renewables sectors. Not only is demand for these metals rising, China is responsible for about 97% of global production. The United States, Japan and Germany are making big investments to secure their own supplies, but these new mining projects may take a decade to come on stream. As a result, supply shortages are predicted. Yet rare earth metal recycling rates remain very low, only 1% in Germany, for example. Add the challenge of conflict minerals and the metals sector starts to look like the Titanic. The metals of most concern right now are tantalum or coltan, tin, tungsten and gold, collectively known as 3TG. These are used extensively in the electronics industry. The Democratic Republic of Congo, or DRC, and adjoining countries have been the hotspots and the target of legislation like the Dodd-Frank Act in the US, but other conflict minerals can and probably will arise for other metals in other parts of the world in future. Besides resource scarcity and human rights issues, the mining and metals industry has significant environmental impacts, especially on land, energy and water. Truecost estimated that the largest metals and mining companies of the world have environmental external costs of around $220 billion, 77% of which is related to greenhouse gases. For iron ore, if carbon prices would rise to a level of $30 per tonne, iron ore costs would increase by 3.3% across the industry. An adequate incorporation of the water costs of iron ore mining would result in a 2.5% cost increase. Combining costs of water and carbon, this could mean increased costs of up to 16% for some operators in water-scarce regions. These land, energy and water impacts also appear to be increasing as about three times as much material needs to be moved for the same ore extraction as a century ago. The picture that emerges is of a metals sector under siege, an industry that is soon to be the victim of its own success. 
and yet it is also one of the sectors that has the most potential for innovation and technological solutions. McKinsey estimated iron and steel energy efficiency and end-use steel efficiency could deliver $278 billion in resource savings by 2030 and go some way towards addressing the metals scarcity crisis. The metal sector may still be in danger, but sustainable technologies could make the situation better. Why metals should be recycled, not mined. There is no denying that the sustainability impacts of the extractive sector are serious, sometimes even tragic and catastrophic, but they are not without solutions. Technology, which is the source of so much destruction in the mining and metals industry, can also be its saviour. The most obvious opportunity for the sector is to embrace the circular economy. Many metals can be recycled, and in some cases actual recycling rates are already high. For example, according to research by Ecoriz, 67% of scrap steel, more than 60% of aluminium, and 35% of copper, in fact 45-50% to 50% in the EU, is already recycled. Apart from resource savings, there is often also a net energy benefit. Energy accounts for 30% of primary aluminium production costs, but recycling of aluminium scrap uses only 5% of the energy of primary production. Recyclability of metals is as important as recycling rates. We need more companies that grow the markets for recycled materials, like Novellus, which announced the commercial availability of the industry's first independently certified high-recycled content aluminium with a 90% minimum, designed specifically for the beverage can market. The opportunity to increase recycling rates is significant. Today, according to UNEP, less than one-third of 60 metals analysed have an end-of-life recycling rate above 50%, and 34 elements are below 1%. The irony is that recycling is often far more efficient than mining. For example, a post-consumer automotive catalyst has a concentration of platinum group metals, like platinum, palladium and rhodium, more than a hundred times higher than in natural ores. Already special refining plants are achieving recovery rates of more than 90% from this so-called waste. This sustainability business case logic has not gone unnoticed. Given the importance of rare earth metals in electronics and renewable technologies, Japan has set aside 44 billion yen for the development of rare earth metals recycling, while Veolia Environmental Services says its plans to extract precious metals such as palladium from road dust in London. Some recycling companies are high-tech. For example, the Saturn project in Germany uses sensor-based technologies for sorting and recovery of non-ferrous metals. Similarly, Twinkletoes is a technology collaboration between the UK, Italy and France that recovers steel fibres from end-of-life tyres and uses them as a reinforcing agent in concrete. By contrast, E. Parasara, which is India's first government-authorised electronic waste recycler, is much more low-tech, 
using manual dismantling and segregation by hand before shredding and density separation occur. This is a good reminder that the best available sustainable technology is not always the most applicable, especially in developing countries. Recycling is not the only way for technology to reduce the impact of metals. If we look at energy consumption, each phase of the steelmaking process presents opportunities. For example, direct energy use can be reduced by 50% in the manufacture of coke and sinter through plant heat recovery and the use of waste fuel and coal moisture control. In the rolling process, hot charging, recuperative burners and controlled oxygen levels can reduce the energy by 80% and electricity consumption by 5%. Other technologies like using pulverized coal injection, top pressure recovery turbines and blast furnace control systems can reduce direct energy use by 10% and electricity by 35%. In electric arc furnace steel making, improved process control, oxyfuel burners and scrap preheating can cut electricity consumption by 76%. In fact, Applying these kinds of energy-saving technologies could result in energy efficiency improvements in the steel sector of between 0.7% and 1.4% every year from 2010 to 2030. Water is another critical issue that suggests significant opportunities. For example, BHP Billiton's Olympic Dam in South Australia achieved industrial water efficiency improvements of 15% from 1.27 kilolitres to 1.07 kilolitres per tonne of material milled. That may not sound like a lot, but when scaled across the operations of the world's fourth largest copper and gold source and the largest uranium source, it makes a huge difference. Sometimes the technologies are fairly simple. In the metal finishing sector, improving rinsing efficiency represents the greatest water reduction option. For example, CNR hard chrome and electrolysis nickel service switched its single rinse tanks to a system of multiple counterflow rinse tanks and installed restrictive flow nozzles on water inlets. As a result, the process line has reduced water consumption by 87%. We can see, therefore, that technology can help to rescue the high-impact extractive sector from its siege by the forces of sustainability. However, it requires some critical shifts. Extractives companies need to recast themselves as resource stewardship companies, experts at circular production and post-consumer mining, and customers and governments need to give up their compulsive throwaway habits and embrace the take-back economy.